The reading is from Paul's epistle to the Galatians, chapter 3, beginning at verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. This is the word of the Lord. Poets, sculptors, musicians, and I guess a surfeit of preachers have said so much about the Annunciation. And I picked up this delightful uh, comment. It's more than a comment, so concentrate on this. It's a quotation by Karl Bloch of 1865, when in 1865 he wanted to speak to the church, of which he was the pastor, about the Annunciation. How did it really happen? What is your thinking or your imagination? Well, listen to this. She may have been in the middle of the morning doing chores or perhaps escaping the heat of the day in the family garden. But wherever Mary was, she was most certainly dreaming of the future of Joseph, her fiancé, their home, a family, work. Suddenly Gabriel, God's heavenly messenger, stood before her announcing that she was going to have a baby. Mary's thoughts, plans, dreams, the entire course of her life changed in a moment. Like every Jewish teenage girl, she had heard the promise of the Messiah but never dreamed that she might be the one chosen to be his mother. Now, Gabriel announced his imminent arrival. God would do the impossible in her body. But a baby, now, Mary must have realized that this privilege came with a very high price. Doubts about her integrity, her purity, 
whispers behind veiled glances, icy accusations. Who did she say the father of the baby was? But Mary responded immediately in faith to what she could not understand, and indeed subsequently blessed among women is she for her faith and her obedience. It was enough that God promised to perform the impossible. It was enough that God had entrusted to her this privilege. She would trust him with the rest. The angel had said that which will be conceived in her was greater than anything she had ever dreamed, something greater than this earth had ever known. Mary understood that the plot is set in motion that day, planned since time began, was the organization of something glorious. Since time began. And we are borrowing this uh, phrase from the reading that we had just now. That in the fullness of time, God sent his son. Just at the right time in the history of mankind. Just to put this in context. And, and context is everything. What you have in Galatians 3 and 4, and sometimes the chapters are not always helpful, but they're there as, as a guide to us. The apostle has surveyed there 2,000 years of Old Testament history. And in particular, what he's done, if you were to read Galatians 3 and 4, he showed the relation between three of the great figures of biblical history. Abraham, Moses, Jesus. And what he does, and this leads now to the fullness of time, he explained how God gave Abraham a promise. And the promise was this, that through his seed he would bless the families of all the earth, of all the nations. And Moses went on then to, ex sorry, he went, uh, Paul went on then to explain about Moses who was given the law which far from annulling the promise, actually now made it necessary and urgent, and how the promise fulfilled in Christ, that he would keep the law, and therefore we would be driven to this Christ. And he came in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time. Looking back on that event then, the Annunciation as the divine timetable came at that pivotal moment in the Annunciation of the Messiah. Paul now wants to explain to all believers and indeed prospective unbelievers this one thing, and that's our sermon with that sort of long introduction, if you like, and it's this. It's implication. That has happened, or that will happen. The rest is the implication, the outworking, the consequence, if you like, of all of that. That's the sermon.
three very quick things that will help us as we think of where we are tonight, here and now. The first is this, that as a consequence of the coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, he identifies with the real world. We need to say that at Christmas, because it all seems terribly distant and superficial and incredibly commercial, and it's an event in the calendar that will come and go, and in the new year we'll have to pick up all the... the the tabs for what we've paid. He identifies with the real world. In other words, we are here tonight, and no less so in the announcement of Gabriel to Mary, he knows about our world. He knew about her real world, where she was there and then, us here and now. Our world in our living, in our working, in our studying, in our relating. And in our dying, he identifies with the real world, where we are here and now. That surely is the essence of our incarnate Lord. Secondly, he is touched by the real needs that we have. And again, we have to say that. From our verse here, Verse 4, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. All the constraints that we have, he knows about. He is touched by the real needs, born of woman. It's the great leveler for all of us. Of course, as we think about Jesus, who was often moved with compassion in a very indifferent religious culture, moved with compassion, seeing people like sheep without a shepherd, lost without hope, seeing people hungry, introducing himself as bread, the bread of life, seeing people in the darkness, often self-inflicted darkness, and coming and saying, I'm the light of the world. People who sat in darkness, seeing the great light. He is touched by the real needs. Now, we need to take that with us into this Advent time. It's all part of the Annunciation. And the third thing is this, that he brings real comfort. He brings real comfort. Of course, there are all sorts of doctrinal and theological issues here that have been debated ad nauseum, I don't doubt. But we mustn't lose sight of the fact that he's one with us, one of us, in his humanity. And sometimes it's hard for us to see that as we come to him in prayer and we confess that he's Lord, and yet at the same time, he is our incarnate Lord. He brings real comfort. How often we sometimes think that it is hard to understand people. My dictum is most of us are like the rest of us, which isn't very good, is it? How do you understand people? Uh, talking to 
last week where he was a personal friend to Gary Speed, who some of you know in the sporting world was in the pinnacle of everything that this world could give and offer. The kudos of which was quite extraordinary. And with a family that he loved very much, that he should take his life. Isn't that extraordinary? How do you understand that? No history of any depressive illness. It's hard to understand people, isn't it? It's hard to understand ourselves. And this Jesus brings real comfort. And how reassuring then to know that he understands and not only gives real comfort but real hope and lasting grace. Look at the next verse. Yes, in the fullness of time, born of a woman, born under law. Why? <laughs> to redeem those under the law. Our fellow brother, sister, friend, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of adoption. It's very moving, wasn't it, uh, two Sundays ago to have um, that uh, service of with the family. And once the legal process had taken its course, now that he was taking their name, it was one thing for the legal part to took two years for all of that to be worked through, to be interviewed, and so on and so forth. But then to be formally adopted into the family. That's the term that's used here. He came in the fullness of time to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of adoption. We belong to him by grace. And he gives real hope and lasting grace. Well, that's the implication. That's the implication. So just then to try to put this into some sort of context of Galatians uh, 4 and 3. This third Sunday in Advent, as we keep saying, I just want to say two things here. The first as you have it in, and I'm going to borrow two little phrases from each verse, verse 4 and verse 6, to just try to put this in as clear terms as it's possible. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in the Lord Jesus. Here we are. The first thing from Galatians 4, 4 is this. There's the phrase. i just give it to you as it's in the Bible. God sent his son. God sent his son. Now, this union of deity and humanity is a great mystery. Poets, artists, theologians, mystics, Preachers, Christians have tried to fathom this dovetailing of two natures. God sent his son. 
A union of deity and humanity. And this gives us a sort of a, a, a vibrancy and, and, and a, a, a vital link with our Christian experience. Put it like this. Here is Jesus, fully God, fully God, able to forgive our sins, able to be our mediator between God and man. And yet at the same, same time, fully man, able to feel for us in our sinfulness. Just look at one cross-reference for a moment. Look, at, look in Hebrews 4, just to try to uh, think about this. In Hebrews 4 and uh, verse 14. This idea of fully God, fully man, able to forgive our sins and able to feel for us, to empathize. Hebrews 4, is 12.03 in the Church Bible, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Right, let's do that. But in our holding, look, this is the point. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, our besetting sins, if you like, our inner propensities, whatever they are. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Don't hold him at arm's, at arm's length and think he doesn't understand. He does. He does. That's the implication. God sent his son. Just think of it. Jesus left the glory of heaven. He is the sovereign. He's the Lord of creation. That's what we were singing. And he came into our world. And what sort of a reception was it? Well, we're familiar with the Christmas theme, aren't we? No room. No room. Jesus gave expression to that in his life. Foxes of holes. Birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That wasn't him feeling sorry for himself, but stating something that we'll never fully understand. God sent his Son. Why? Well, to redeem us. Coming back to Galatians 4 and verse 5. He sent his Son, born of a woman, born of the law, to redeem us. To redeem us. Quite simply, this Jesus was born to die. Redemption at such great cost. God sent his son. But, we're not finished. The second phrase, look at verse 6. And this should help us. Okay? Yes, to redeem us, he sent his son. And verse 6, because you are sons, it's a generic term, children, because you're adopted... Now then, this is now even more subjective, more experiential. God sent his spirit. Sent his son, he sent his spirit. This is very Trinitarian, isn't it, when you think about it? And what is the result of that? We cry, 
Abba, Father. Abba, Father. So, tonight, he identifies with our real world, this world, with all of its complexity. He is touched by real needs, the needs that we face here tonight. And he brings real comfort, that which we need as we go into this week. He sent his son. God sent his spirit. Just think of Christmas in these terms. Think of it perhaps in, outside of, the, of our familiar experience thus far. Think of Christmas in these terms as a double sending. A double sending and then a double receiving. A double sending. He sent his son into this world, our world. He sends his spirit into our hearts, your heart and mine. We receive his son and we receive his spirit all over again. Maybe some of us need to have that subjective sense of being born again all over again. Being filled with the Spirit again all over again. He sent His Son. He sent His Spirit. And it may be even the routine of doing good things. Somehow we've lost sight of this. He sends His Spirit into our hearts and we, we cry, Abba, Father. We're adopted into His family. And it's a hard life. And it's a tough world. And we say, Abba, Father. And that is a great consequence of the Annunciation. The full unfolding of God's purpose and plan. And we are part of that. But somehow, in a way, we're not spectators. Yes, you can look at Mary, you could stand in awe and you could see a beautiful artistic impression of some of these great oratorios. Yes. Musicians, poets, and so on. But what about me? Does it leave me merely looking on from the outside rather than entering into it? The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. We cry, Abba, Father. And its implication, God sent his Son to give us, if you like, the status of children. God's children. That's good. If you like, uh, you could say, uh, like the family, I've got a piece of paper. And that says now that, that this child is adopted and is our child. Well, that's important. And that sense of growing, that nature and nurture, that culture in which he's going to be brought and we are to be brought in our spiritual home within the church. You see the connection. So he sent his son to give us the status. We are his children. He sent his spirit to give us the experience, the assurance, the liberation of being family. It's safe to be family with his kingdom. God sent his Holy Spirit. And oftentimes, somehow we tend to think of this in more controversial terms. 
We were talking to some of Hannah's family when we were in Ireland recently, and they were full of enthusiasm about the Alpha course. And terribly disappointed, out of 40 people who attended, only nine wanted to go on the weekend away, rather afraid that extremists might talk about the Holy Spirit. Isn't that very sad? He sent His Holy Spirit into our hearts. And who are we to say, well, you shouldn't do that, or you shouldn't be receptive to that? Maybe the very people who are trying to defend the integrity of the Lord Jesus are maybe grieving the Spirit to think, well, now we, we've got it all. I remember on a rare occasion, uh, some of us used to go to Westminster Fellowship here in Martin Lloyd George, get very cross about people who said, you've got it all, and if we've got it all, why are we in the state that we're in today? He sent His Holy Spirit into our hearts so that you might as a consequence its implications say I'm going to pray more for my children or I'm going to certainly talk more directly to people I work with or I'm definitely going to make an effort because I've got his spirit and I'm not going to grieve him anymore he sent his son and he sent his spirit and it's the spirit of adoption which doesn't make us insecure, but gives us a settled peace. And we say, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. What is it in life to belong? And to have a felt sense of belonging. Just turn to one last reference as we close. Look at the classic reference in Romans 8. Um, page 1135, where Paul takes up this theme again. And uh, speaking about the work of God's Spirit in the life of a believer. In Romans 8 and verse 15. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. You received a spirit of sonship. Footnote. Adoption. And by him we cry Abba, Father. Look how subjective this is. The Holy Spirit himself testifies with our spirit, small s, that we are God's children. We belong to him. And he belongs to us. And the impact of this, Galatians 4.4, because of this adoption, this relational experience of the Holy Spirit makes us come to him and call to him and respond to him and enjoy him. Let me close by quoting C.S. Lewis. One of the ways Jesus explained an infinite God to finite people was to tell stories. We call them parables. Earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. I remember visiting a young mother who said to me, you know, I have three children and I'm amazed that one of these children would hear postman pat for hours every day and never get tired of it. 
Children love stories. So do grown-up children. C.S. Lewis said this. Speaking about the prodigal son, God doesn't wag a critical finger in our face, though people do. He doesn't call us names. He doesn't even preach. What he does is to wait. He waits on the porch, heart aching for reunion, ears eager for the sound of our voice, eyes searching the horizon for our return. And when we do, he leaps to his feet and with open arms runs to welcome us home. Read it for yourself. Is that how you view God tonight? If it isn't, if it isn't, somewhere down the line you've listened to the wrong stories or perhaps even the wrong storyteller. He sent his son. He sent his Holy Spirit. He sends his son. And he goes on sending his Holy Spirit. And we, of course, go on responding. Abba, Father. I hope that we find ourselves receptive to him. And maybe as a consequence, others being perhaps more receptive to our message.